0: Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, welcome back to Author News Weekly. Thanks for joining us. I'm R.A. McGee, joined by a bevy of beautiful, ballin' booksters. (laughs) <laughs> that was pretty good. All right. I've got I like uh, ball iteration. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Ball iteration. Very good. First, I've got Jim Heskett here. Hello. Next, I have Pippa Werner. Hello. And last but not least, Mr. Nick Thacker. Yes. What's going on, party people? Same no. Nothing.
1: Same I old. sold a book by accident.
0: Yes, <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> My wife went, hey, Pippa posted this on social media. How does this work? And I had to say, I have no idea. So uh, Pippa, how did you manage this?
1: I thought that I should be responsible and take advantage of an opportunity to get feedback on my pitch from someone who knew things about the industry. And about two and a half minutes later, they were saying, all right, someone go find Rob. We need to sign her well i said actually i have to give a talk on statistics right now and went through that and then there was an agent involved for a while and that like a different person mm-hmm. and my friends got me a cake that said let the bidding war commence <laughs> and, <laughs> and i said i ran some numbers and i settled a lot of things so I'm um, whoa
0: that's awesome dude congratulations yes. very cool Without spoiling anything or getting into your contracts and stuff, what genre are we talking? What's the situation?
1: It's epic fantasy. It's one of the houses that has sort of come out of the self-publishing movement. And so they're doing a lot of things with shared worlds. And then also the authors have their own individual books that are coming out. Uh, Very good royalty share. It's not an advanced situation. And it's something like three or four translations, which if you've ever looked at translations, they're like, $30,000 a piece. So (laughs) I'm quite pleased with that part. And because it happened at a conference, I was able to sort of sniff around and go do the due diligence part where you talk to other authors and you're like, okay, what's the word? What do we know? And it was all quite good. So.
0: Well, congratulations, Pippa, stumbling bass backwards into a deal. That's how you know, I do all of to, my business things. <laughs> the way to do it. You know, I don't think anyone can hate on that. So <laughs> good times. Congrats. Very good. Very good. All right, guys. Now that we got that awesomeness out of the way, we're all happy for Pippa. Let's go into story one. This is a couple weeks old through multiple no faults of our own, but I still want to talk about it because it deserves to be talked about. <laughs> Anonymous Jackalope. Story one is draft the digital Acquire Smashwords, and I don't use either company currently. I use draft digital a little bit for some formatting stuff. How excited should we be about this? I think maybe since he's part of the squad, we'll let Nick tell us what does this do for us and why are we excited?
2: Yeah, so this is pretty big because these two companies are pretty much the only companies doing what they do, at least with the reputation and some reach. So by combining forces, there's been talk that this is a bad move for indies for different reasons, but take it from somebody who knows the ins and outs of this deal, it's going to be mostly only good news for authors. And the reason for that is simple. We're not, uh, I just say we, you know, I do work for Draft2Digital, so we didn't purchase uh, or acquire uh, Smashwords because we wanted to put them out of business. On the contrary, we wanted to combine forces and the good stuff that Smashwords is doing we wanted to be able to do as well. And the good things that draft digital is doing, Smashwords wanted to be able to take advantage of that as well. So it's a combination of two awesome forces in the indie community. But you know, think about it in terms of like, we're also combining our resource load. No one's getting laid off. Everybody is still employed from both companies, which means now we've got more developers to be able to do different stuff. We can share resources, we can share data. There's just a lot of good things that are gonna happen here. And Jim asked me privately, is the new company D2Smash, it's actually smash to digital or the smash smash to
1: digital Tokyo drift.
2: Smash <laughs> to digital Tokyo drift. Yeah. Yeah. There have been many. I like the D2 smash is a, is a good one. Get some so to. can I
0: call you and Kevin the smash brothers now? Is that okay? Or you know that what?
2: Me? That's a good one too. I like that. I think we okay. will go with that. I was at superstars as well and I talked about it quite a bit at different presentations and panels and all that. And then I was, I guess cornered probably the right word He's a nice guy, but I was asked some questions by this gentleman who runs a podcast as well in the author space. And I listened to the podcast after I talked to this guy for a while at a dinner and he introduced me as the founder of draft digital um, <laughs> which I promptly tried to exploit into a uh, higher <laughs> raise, but it didn't work. Um, so hey, the, the no, to the, the bank down,
1: for uh, loans.
2: The if actual you put it in your email signature,
3: like, it's Canon.
2: That, yeah, I just put in my email signature, have a picture of me just going like this, isolated <laughs> on a white background. I think it'll be a great idea.
0: <laughs> very good. Very good. All right. The other two have anything
2: to add or do we get it
0: straight from the horse's mouth enough? About um, this? This draft to I'm excited
1: thing? not to have the Smashwords upload interface anymore.
3: Guess. Yeah, what's going to happen with the meat grinder? Well, so... And they actually you know,
1: updated the meat grinder.
3: I haven't used it since 2012, so I wouldn't know.
1: Yeah, no, it's almost...
2: Yeah, when I used it back then, I feel like it made my Word document worse. (laughs) Um, It's definitely improved over the years. At this point, meaning like right now and for the foreseeable future, I will not be pinned into defining the future as far as the length of time, but nothing's changing right now. We are still combining, you know, figuring out the logistics of how to have two companies essentially operating as one now. So there's all kinds of stuff, you know, like re-signing contracts and things like that that no one will ever even see because it's all behind the scenes. I would imagine that only after that dust settles is when we're going to start even talking about you know turning the meat grinder into something different or changing draft to digital in a certain way. Like there's all sorts of stuff. So for the foreseeable future if anyone listening is, you know, they go through Smashwords because they're a little bit more amicable to the erotic market things like that. Continue doing that. That's not expected to change right now. So and that, again, that's what I mean by benefit of having them combined is right now there's still two companies and we're not planning on cutting off authors from doing something they've been used to doing for a long time like that's we will try to figure out a way to navigate through that so no one has to
1: that was where i saw most of the wailing and gnashing of teeth was the yeah. erotica author forms where they were like well okay
2: to be fair and this is not draft a digital hat on my head now this is just nick thacker ranty anti-british person uh author now those are the people who rant and rave about anything anyway for no reason sometimes. <laughs> so of course that's the group that's going to be most the Brits vocal about this. Readers
1: and erotica authors. He hates yeah. them all.
2: I mean, I've painted romance authors with a broad brush, but it's specifically there's some some subgenres within romance that you just can't please him. Sorry, just the way it is, guys. If you're a romance author, feel free to reach out to me at uh, jim at jimheskett.com. i um, <laughs> love to hear your feedback on that.
0: <laughs> good times. Good times. All right. Well, I guess we'll see how it all shakes out going forward. But congrats to DD and uh, congrats to Smashwords. And uh, hopefully everybody's happy when it's all said and done. So the next story that we have here is going back a little bit the last time that we had Mr. Craig Hart on the show, we had a story about an author in Iowa who their publisher was going to pay a ghostwriter to finish writing their story for them and like kind of freeze them out. And there was some kind of like big hubbub and stuff going on about it. So we all had various opinions on the situation. I just wanted to have an update because Writer Beware uh, talked a little bit more about it. And so... It's kind of interesting. And, you know, in the typical writer beware fashion, they dug into it. They got a lot of stuff going on. And uh, so I figured maybe we should chat about that since we talked about it when we didn't quite have all the facts. So, did you guys get a chance to take a look at this at all? What are you thinking? Because it looks like ultimately, for reasons I'm not sure of, the author dropped the lawsuit against the publisher. So, what's going on with that? Yeah. I
1: did like what they said about like this is a textbook case of not avoiding conflicts of interest like there's a reason that you're not supposed to negotiate for both sides you can't be fair to both like you're supposed to have independent people so if your agent and your publisher are in the same company that's not
0: (laughs) yeah well to you know i know how much nick likes to look into the comments i don't know if you guys remember that's an old uh, thing that he likes to do is look into the comments for more information and this person pt dillaway Said, uh, not to victim shame, but it sounded like she needed someone else, like a lawyer, to go through her contract before she signed it. Definitely bad to have your agent also be your publisher. It'd be like asking my boss to negotiate with my boss for a raise. So I think yeah. that's kind of what you had said, Pippa, right?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of indies and authors in general get pretty far without having a lawyer. And I've been guilty of this before, but it's a terrible practice. Please don't do it. <laughs> Learn from these things.
0: Yeah, and part of me wonders, is this a result of some office? And I'm not speaking specifically about this woman. Obviously, I don't know. But I think sometimes we're so excited and desperate to get books out into the world that we may do things that don't make a lot of sense, right? I mean, didn't you mention something like that once, Jim, that like in the beginning, when you were first working on your book and stuff, you would have maybe even taken a bad contract just to
3: get your book out? Sure. This article made me think of I had one of the Ender's Game audiobooks a few years ago I listened to. One in that series, and there was like an hour-long interview with Orson Scott Card at the end of the audiobook. And in that that interview, he didn't really hold back. He let out a lot of his thoughts on traditional publishing and things he didn't like because he was talking about he'd been trying for like 15 years to get an Ender's Game movie made, but it was critical to him that the character of Ender be eight years old in the movie, and the studios really didn't like that, so he could never get a deal done because he was like very firm on that. He said that there are multiple contracts. That he read where in the front of the contract, it would say, you know, author has final say over casting of the actor who plays this. And then he said later on in the contract, there would be another phrase that would say something like, regardless of whatever else it says in here, the movie studio actually has final say on this. And he was like, you know, and if I wasn't digging and letting my lawyers look at it, I would have never known that. And ultimately Ender's mm. game movie came out and the I think the kid who played him was like 16, so he lost.
0: <laughs>
3: he finally got duped one of the addendai. He finally got duped, got yeah. I'm just surprised
2: that they didn't cast Tom Cruise and just say that he was eight years old in the movie. Accurate. <laughs> Accurate. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well makes an eight-year-old played by like Tom Cruise. <laughs> um <laughs>
0: Eight year old Tom Cruise. Uh, Okay, so in any event, if you guys want to look at it, it'll be in the show notes, kind of talking a little more about the situation. You know, if you're going to sign a contract, maybe have someone look at it that doesn't have a vested interest in, you know, screwing you over. So, all right. The next thing that we have here, speaking of getting screwed over, I don't know if you guys saw this. I don't know if there's much to talk about, but kind of goes hand in hand with maybe make sure that the things you sign don't bite you on the ass in the long run. You guys remember a couple weeks ago, there was this hubbub about Wattpad was having this contest, right? And you could like, you know, submit some stuff to Wattpad, but the rules were like bananas and like, just by submitting it to them, like they owned it forever. There was all this bizarro stuff going on.
1: Did you guys catch that when it was happening? Completely missed that.
0: Oh man. Okay. So let's see. Here's some of the terms that they say were problematic. Uh, the grant term extends for the duration of the Singapore copyright, which is the same as the U.S., U.K. and European copyright, which is the author's lifetime plus 70 years. Right. But this is just for uploading to a contest. It's not like they signed a deal for this stuff. They have to like buy. I can't even understand it all. Right. I have to have a lawyer look at this stuff, but I just feels
1: like uh whole future work. Oh, my goodness.
3: That's crazy. Mm-hmm. The insane part is when there was a screenshot of somebody who wrote in to say, hey, what's up with these terms? And they wrote back to say, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. Our (laughs) lawyers are making us put it there. I went through that same thing when I worked at a company that got bought out by a bigger company. And we sold a software product, and it was a no-contract software product. And the company that bought us was very much into contracts. And so they started including language in our site terms that said stuff about contracts and our users were like hey we don't like this we were like our lawyers make us put it there there's nothing we can do and it's very disheartening
0: yeah just crazy times like they're showing down here the contracts require the writer to grant power of attorney to good novel who was part of this contest and it's like you got to give them power of attorney just to submit a, a work to this contest
1: yeah, plot who the medical time. power of attorney. <laughs> you know,
0: right? They
1: show up at your house and euthanize you.
3: <laughs> you will become a battery for the AIs.
2: <laughs> Man, I'm on this good novel website right now, and the website looks fine. It's really interesting to me. I, this is kind of a, a question, a little bit unrelated, but I've just been curious about it. I know I was, I was kind of bashing romance authors a few minutes ago. With all the love in my heart. Question, is romance, like, is it like a whole different... Like, is it not even a genre now, but it's like a whole different market entirely? Or are these guys at Good Novel somehow coming across more romance authors than any other author? And here's what I mean. I'm scrolling down. I'm looking at, okay, so Best Werewolf is one of the categories. Love Stories, Erotica, Mafia Romance, Forever Young, New Arrivals, Fantasy World, Vampire Diaries, and then Mystery Thriller, followed by LGBTQ+, and then Science Fiction on their website homepage and i cannot tell the difference between any of these genres from uh, just looking at the covers you would not be able like if you showed me something from the mystery thriller on this page i would say you're crazy that's not mystery thriller well some people There's, don't know, know that- based on the cover alone
1: oh it's specifically a subgenre of romance
2: okay so this is mystery thriller romance because all yeah. of these are, are roman okay i got it
1: yeah well, so gonna, it'd be okay. like fantasy epic Romance mystery.
2: So, okay, that answers one of my questions. I guess the big question is, again, like, is romance its own business model now? Like, why are romance authors doing this sort of thing? Is it easier to write and therefore there's just more people writing it? Or why are there so I many I authors- would actually
1: say it's easier to write. The release schedule, the expected release schedule is hugely, like, you're expected every two to three weeks to have a new
2: and that's fine. But why, why are um, they choosing this website? Why are they all going to goodnovel.com and why is it all romance?
1: Well, I think good novel may just be romance.
2: Okay, so it just happens to be, yeah, romance. okay, yeah.
1: I think I that romance.
2: that's the yeah, I was just curious. I'm just trying to figure, yeah, it's like yeah. you know, this whole all the Wattpad stuff, and I, I haven't been there in a while, so I don't know that that falls into this category, but like these sorts of websites it just all seem to be romance, and I'm like, it doesn't matter to me because I don't write it, so. What is the appeal like for a romance author to go and submit their stuff to these websites that have crappy terms? Like are, are they My guess is it's know? like
1: the pyramid scheme thing, right? If you get in early enough, you have the chance to hit it really, really oh, big. Oh,
2: that's a good that's a good
1: point. And so every time there's a yeah. new app or whatever it is, they're like, Okay, if I'm one of the first people and this one mm. takes off.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna start a new website called Bernie Madoff Romance.com. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody'll know. Nobody'll know. And Ron loves stories. In Ron, and Ron. Stories. <laughs> <laughs> In- <In-Rom>, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. All right. So that's interesting. Maybe don't do that if you're signing up to submit your book. You might want to pay attention to what you're signing so you don't get hosed. All right. Story number four. This is good. We're going to touch on a little bit of craft here. All right. This is from crimereads.com. And it's written by a lady named Sarah Gron. She's talking about the art of suspense or five pointers to keep your readers riveted. I'm going to go through these pointers and then I'm going to touch. I'm not going to touch on you guys. It sounds bad. Thank you. Uh, My apologies. (laughs) My hands are above my lap.
2: Okay, (laughs) I'm going to get with you guys. And that's not better either. I used to work what at a where I would talk on the phone all day, and I had one client who would always say, well, let's touch bases soon instead <laughs> of like, touch base. and it always, yeah, How many bases do you, you want
0: know? me to – I'm like in the <laughs> middle like, which, trying to touch first yeah, and second. All your, your your <laughs> all your
2: bases. <laughs> all your bases are belonging to me.
0: Okay, so – Her theory here is that there are five ways that you can help keep your book suspenseful. So I'm going to mention them and ask you guys what you think and see if there's anything you want to expand or elaborate on, okay? And there will be no touching. All right. So first is suspense. She says the first step of suspense is to create a character that people care about. You do this by creating well-rounded and complicated characters with all the quirks, foibles, and unpredictable impulses of real people. And by trying to get your reader inside that character's head. Now, do you guys feel, obviously, it's good advice. How much effort do you take in crafting a character that's super interesting, as opposed to someone who might not be as deep, but just kind of does cool stuff? What about you, Jim?
3: Well, the first point here, creating a character people care about, that transcends the suspense genre (laughs) that's for every single (laughs) book that's ever been written you need a character people care about or nobody is going to read it these are all good advice you know short chapters yeah you don't want a reader to give up in the middle of a chapter you want them to get to the end of the chapter so they can see the answer in the question i never phrased it like that but that's an interesting way of putting it you want your chapters to end some kind of something unresolved a new loop open something that drives people forward the one thing, I mean, my number one tip for creating suspense, is not listed here, but I think the best way to create suspense is when you give the reader the information your characters don't have. That's because there's nothing more suspenseful. Alfred Hitchcock was talking about filmmaking once, and he said, if you shoot a scene where there's a character sitting at a desk and a character comes in the room and sits down and they talk at the desk for five minutes, and then a bomb goes off and kills them both, he said the audience is shocked for five seconds. He said, but if you show that character in the room putting the bomb under the table, then you have the other character walk in and sit down and then they talk for five minutes. That's five full minutes of panic for your audience because they know something the hero doesn't know. And so that's something I've always tried to include in my thrillers is putting the protagonist at a disadvantage by giving the antagonist more info, more expertise, more cunning, more planning ahead. You know, anytime the villain is one step ahead of your hero it's going to create a situation where your reader is worried. And that's what you want. You want your reader to be worried that your hero is not going to succeed.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people put way too much emphasis on like, oh, but there's this huge big twist that comes up. And you're like, no, it has to. Ideally, for me, I want to be able to read a book more than once. Like, Those are my top books, are the books that I can then go back through and read because it was so interesting the first time. And then once you learn some of the twists, it's even more interesting to read it again. But that, like, you need to have a whole bunch of, if you're going to do a twist, you've just upped the difficulty level. Because it needs to be not only a twist that changes everything, but everything needs to hang together and do really well before the twist. So.
0: Okay. That sounds good. That sounds good. What about you, Nick? What are you doing about making readers get
2: super invested into your characters. I love this article. I think this is great. As Jim said, a lot of these transcend the genre of suspense. In some ways, it's the opposite of suspense, where you know what's happening, and you're thrilled because it's so fast-paced. You know, there's almost no suspense in some instances. But generally speaking, in a whole novel, I do want things to be suspenseful, in that I want there to be some mystery that the reader is trying to solve, as well as the protagonist. What I've started doing recently that I think is helpful, and I only recognize this from reading other thrillers that I was getting submitted for conundrum, and I noticed a lot of thriller authors will lose sight of what the actual mystery is and try to make something a mystery that shouldn't have any business being a mystery. For example, and I may have used this example on the show before. I apologize, but you know, I got a submission where an author had a scene where a soldier and his commander were talking. We knew they were in the army, but we didn't know what country they served for. And they made that kind of the mystery of like, oh, we don't know who these guys are serving and everything. And then right in the middle of the chapter, they talk about this mysterious thing they found in the Gulf of Mexico. That's the mystery of the chapter. That's kind of the thrust of the entire first part of the book. And instead, they kind of tossed that in the middle of the chapter as like an aside and then made the mystery, who are these guys and who are they working for? When that doesn't actually need to be a mystery. It turns out it's Cuba. And they're, it's a Cuban general talking to his subordinate. That's the kind of thing that we need to just say, at least in thrillers, like that's, there's no reason for that to be a mystery, you know? So like losing sight of what the actual mystery is, was a big thing for me. And I realized in my own writing, I could improve on that quite a bit.
3: You don't want to spend time on plot twists or mysteries in your book that are going to be spoiled by the cover or the blurb.
2: Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I don't know that this would have said, you know, two Cuban soldiers or whatever, but like, we know a few chapters later, it's just explained in passing that they're, they were there. Okay. They're Cuban. So why wait? Like, there's no reason to put that later on, you know. And and yeah, as, as you said, like, if you are going to put something in the blurb, then don't worry about making it a plot twist in the midpoint, you know. Like we're gonna, we already know, we already yeah. found out. So Sounds good. Sounds good.
0: So I agree with everything these folks said, and the fact that this is a really good article. So it'll be in the show notes if you guys are interested. Uh, take a look. Good work, Sarah Grant. Good article. Okay. So the last thing that we have here, it's just kind of weird. How many books, this comes to us from businesstimes.com. It says, how many books does it take to make a place feel like a home, right? And they show some people, apparently it's becoming kind of in vogue and chic to have crazy amounts of books at your house. And so my question for you guys would be, well, first off, I don't know if you guys have a masterclass, but this lady on the top, Alice Waters here. I watched her master class about home cooking and she makes an egg and a spoon on open flame. And it's one of the most amazing things I've ever watched. Yeah, she's got this big spoon and she puts the egg stuff in it and she put it over like a fire, a fireplace. So she free based an egg. And that was <laughs> it's amazing. The craft <laughs> and the care that she put into this egg was she took more time with this egg than anything I've ever done in my entire life and it's impressive did so, she
2: also explain like the best way to consume sugar is by like putting it into a line on the table with a credit card and then getting a straw and going straight through the nose with it because well i mean she did have this like tourniquet or just buy pixie forearm, sticks they're already in the. Sh-
0: does she did she light <laughs> sage delivery device in like you not know let's say a tobacco you. pipe listen and then- listen hate on me if you want to i'm just saying if you have master class <laughs> Go watch this lady make an egg. All right. That's all I'm saying. All right, watch all right. I've I just been it. watching so. Chris Voss
1: talk about hostage negotiations mm. because that's hilarious. It like it's really good, but also like it's always weird when someone's giving you these negotiation tactics and they're like, yeah, so I used to have this rule about like don't kill someone if you need to negotiate with more people later in that thing. And like that worked for a while, but then it turns out that your reputation precedes you. So maybe just like don't kill people because then you get into later negotiations and they know your career is bonkers, friend.
3: (laughs) I just want to say since RA accidentally said masterclass at first, I really (laughs) hope that's what Disney calls their continuing education for their executives. Disney, if you're not, feel free to take that. Well,
1: masterclass with cooking is like ratatouille. It's right there
2: as a...
0: It's true. I appreciate
2: the joke, but I am afraid Disney now owns not just this podcast, but everything each of us has done individually (laughs) based on the contracts that we have actually analyzed on this show, I think
3: (laughs) until 70 years after we got
2: Disney. Yeah, that's that's Disney, that's Disney's mode mo, right there. Good
0: time. So in any event, I got way off topic there, but how many books do you guys think you need to make a happy home? We're toward sort of towards the end of the show, but how many books would you ideally have in your bookshelf?
1: Enough that I could have one of those big shelves. That like goes up, and I could do the like the slide thing that she does like in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Real Belle, I dig it. That's a solid visual. We don't have a number,
2: but everyone knows exactly what you mean when you say that. Nick, how many books do you need, man? Yeah, no, I got an interesting answer because I like you guys. I'm a book nerd, and I love books, and you know who doesn't? But I've finally broken my stranglehold on needing to own books because we moved so damn much. I finally sold off the last of them. My own two books. They're right back there in the camera. You can kind of see them on that little ledge. Those are the only two books in my house. My wife has a couple, but I'm bookless. And it's the same story. I mean, it's like I was always buying books and then I just read in bed. And so I couldn't have a light on because my wife would wake up and that's just a nightmare. And so I would just read on the Kindle anyway. So I finally kicked the book habit. But the answer, of course, is all of the books. That's how many I think make a happy home. I want that same library that Bip is talking about. I want that picturesque, like floor-to-ceiling window looking yeah. over a giant, like preferably well uh, garden. Well, I was thinking more in terms of like an entire country that I own, but you know,
1: like, oh okay, of, yeah.
2: be a accurate. castle on a hill kind
0: of thing. Yeah, <laughs> accurate. Jim,
3: sure. How many do you want, man? Like Nick, I'm not too precious about physical books. My collections, I've mostly shifted to digital. Um, I have a few. I have like you know, you can see back here. I have my bookcase with all my books on it, or most of my books on it. And aside from that, I have a few that are really meaningful to me from my youth, like illusions by Richard Bach and the four agreements that I just always want to have a hard copy around those books that I keep buying. Cause I always give them away. Mm-hmm. There's a few of those, you know, books that I've had like a dozen copies, but I'm not too precious about physical products.
0: Mm, right on, right on. Well, all right, guys, good times, good times. So are you guys got anything you want to add before we get out of here? No, I think we're good. Alright, so for all of us at Author News Weekly I'm RM McGee saying this meeting is over <laughs> Goodbye everybody